0: I'm Paul Sutton, and this is Digital Download. The show where I talk to topic experts on digital marketing, social media, and public relations about the things that matter in today's communications industry. If you cast your mind back just a few short months, the social networks were coming under very heavy criticism for all manner of reasons, Facebook's unscrupulous moral compass, Instagram's negative impact on mental health and the toxic environment on Twitter, all made pretty regular appearances in not just blogs and podcasts, but also on the mainstream news and broadcast media. If you'd have asked me to predict the future of social media back at the end of 2019, I'd have said that, in its current form at least, it had started a slow and steady decline. I'd have said the same about brand use of social media. We're 10 years into business adoption of Facebook and Twitter now, and yet still so many brands and organisations fail to grasp the basics of running social accounts or running social ad campaigns. Mistakes continue to be made simply due to a lack of understanding, which is a huge frustration when there's such potential.
1: These are really powerful tools, and if you if they're used effectively and correctly, they can generate you know huge success at a very tight budget. But you have to know what you're doing with them, and I think for most um, companies, certainly outside of the big brands that we all know and love, a lot of the options and and features of these. say, for example, Facebook's um, Ad Manager. That's that's quite an intense, uh, advanced experience if, if you haven't ever created ads before on a social platform. And there's a lot of the features in there that would really make it work and make sure you've made the most effective use of your spend. But you have to understand how and when to use them. And there's a skill to that. And you know the platforms, in fairness to them, have tried to educate their users, but people are overwhelmed with options and choices, which leaves people like me and you to kind of pick up the slack and, and aid these companies in, in, in doing this.
0: Today's guest, Matt Navarra, is a social media consultant and a very well-respected industry commentator. He started working in the social media industry in 2009 when, in his words, he fell into a role while working for the UK government that necessitated him taking on social media responsibility for a large department. When he realised that the area of digital and social technology fascinated him, he asked for a secondment to the government digital service within the cabinet office. It was that position that really kick-started his career, and after five years as Director of Social at The Next Web, he set up as a consultant two years ago. In comparing notes, one of the questions that he and I both get asked an awful lot is how we keep up with the vast array of topics related to the social networks, and to more broadly digital marketing. For me personally, it's a combination of very carefully crafted RSS feeds and Twitter lists that I continuously hone. On one of those Twitter lists is Matt, who is a largely unrivaled source of updates, developments and announcements. I asked him how he became such a trusted source for the wider media.
1: I guess it became my niche uh, or my kind of uh, USP in some ways because um, it started for me working at The Next Web and as I said, helping the editorial team find stories and being aware of what's going on. And so uh, in an editorial um, situation uh, years ago and and now, most newsrooms have a whole range of tools which I've maintained since going freelance. And I've been fortunate that a lot of these vendors, companies that have these tools have given me access to them at at no charge, which is great because I thought I'd lose access to them. So you know i use tools like um News Whip's spike i use um data miner which is kind of a tied to a twitter um product um, which surfaces information i use nuzzle um, i obviously have TweetDeck deck with a lot of customized lists in there um, and a, a variety of different uh, other tools that kind of just ping me when something is kind of bubbling up or it's becoming uh, newsworthy or people that i know that i follow that i know would be a good source of news they're starting to talk about it then it will alert me to that um, so there's, there's there is that i have several accounts on my um, on my mobile that are set up on twitter to tell me every single time they tweet because i know that they're going to constantly put out interesting stuff that might be useful to me um so that's the kind of like more general side but on the kind of sort of darker side if you want to call it that then of course there's different sources of information you know facebook twitter tiktok all of the social platforms um are pretty good at giving me um some information ahead of time but embargoes or what's going to come, come up soon um so people who work in the organizations who for whatever reason want to leak things uh, is often a source of information for me as well as people the general public and and people in my groups that are kind of like hey Matt we know you love all this stuff I've just found out this or have you seen that and I get that all day long and so I just that's all funneled in through my mobile phone which gets hot every few hours with different things and then I kind of piece it together and and pick out the bits I think are are newsworthy and, and people will be interested in.
0: It's an enviable position to be in, having stuff fed to you and not having to go look for it, I think.
1: Yeah, it's, well, it's taken a, a, quite a while to get to that place. And yeah. it was never, I would like to say it was a clever, strategic move, but it really was very organic. And I know I never set out to be a person that always shared the the, the, the latest things to do with social media or being a source of things that no one else knew about to do with social. I was just yeah. fascinated with with that kind of thing. and I, I remember I told this story a few times where um, when I first started doing it, I would download the latest version of Facebook or Twitter or whatever and uh, open up the app and you'd see those blue bubbles pop up with like new things. Hey, have you seen this new feature? They try and get you to use it. And yep. so I'd screenshot it and say, hey, I've got this new feature. Has anyone else got it? And a lot of the time, because these features are tested in small groups when they initially roll out, people would say, no, I haven't got that. How have you got that? Yeah, yeah, And it kind of snowballed more and more. Other people would send me their screenshots and say, have you seen this? Have you seen that? And then other, then as it got really kind of bigger, Facebook and the other platforms started providing me with the information, or I had people that worked uh, who were good at coding and, and uh, kind of white hat hacking and showing mm-hmm. me how to kind of reveal things that are on the platform that are hidden in, in the code of the source code of the site. And so then that provided me with a new avenue, as well as reverse engineering apps and stuff to find out what they're hidden in there. So a whole range of stuff.
0: Since the COVID-19 crisis kicked off in March, I've been observing and pondering a number of impacts related to social media. A week or two into the crisis, I noticed that social media use had become far more positive than it had been in the preceding months. People were more supportive and caring and trolling behaviour had become extremely minimal. Now, I covered the previous toxic nature of some social networks on episode 57 of the podcast in early March, talking about the tragedy of Caroline Flack's death. I asked Matt if he'd observed the same things that I have and whether he thought that my hunch about this being a reboot of sorts of social media behaviour has any grounding in reality or if it's just wishful thinking on my part.
1: I made the same observations, I think, in in the initial period of of when this lockdown started to kick you know kick in for most people around the world. and um, and i I certainly have felt uh, a sense of, of of more warmth and positivity and and that kind of camaraderie online that uh, we you know we do see at other times on, on social but it, it's normally outweighed by the, the negative aspects of it the fake news or people i mean trolling of people and, and abuse of, of, that goes on, on the platforms um i think that you know there's definitely been a, an uptick in 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 that positive kind of side of social and you know, i'm not a psychology expert but i would certainly say it makes sense to me that in a time of crisis when the, you know everyone around you is experiencing the same sort of situation it's that kind of let's we're in this together which we've heard a lot recently you know and i think that that um has played out on on the social platforms um i think also we shouldn't forget the kind of narcissistic traits of social and people wanting to kind of it's about everything's about you on social typically for for a lot of people and what you're doing and what you feel and and sometimes even that when they're not nice things that people do they want to make it known that they're doing these nice things aren't i a nice person look what i've done here and so i think that there's that that has also kind of amplified the some of the things Um, not to say it's disingenuous but i think there's certainly that gives people a sense of i've done a good thing there Um, as to regard is it rebooted things i don't think it's necessarily rebooted things i think it's people people have taken stock of what the prior their priorities are in life and also you know levels of of appropriate behavior at times when you know it's just not needed to to go. Do some of the things that maybe they would have done before, and laid into yeah, yeah. a brand or laid into a person. So I think, and um, there's there's that as well. I'm not convinced that w- we're going to come out of this, and um, once it's fully fully over, after you know we've done a phased lockdown recovery, and so like a year or two from now, and it's going to be you know dramatically more positive and less trolling. I think that there's a, there's a homeostasis, a balance that will be reset and it will come back to you know the usual. There'll be loads of people behaving in a way that is you know not so good. And there'll be lots of people that are doing lovely things. And so, Uh yeah, I'm not so convinced that that this is going to have a lasting effect. But I think there'll be a slow, sort of steady return to what what we've probably seen before, unless things dramatically change in terms of how the platforms are, are, you know, managed by by us and by others.
0: Well, I mean, it's certainly true at the moment that people are using social media more again. And like I said, there is this positivity happening at the moment, maybe linked to this, is how the social networks are trying to deal with misinformation. I know that Twitter, for example, is is working really hard to remove kind of dubious tweets around, you know, all the the 5G stuff that's been going on. And I saw something about a fake Joe Biden ad that had been blocked. And so I I know that Twitter's working quite hard on this. Facebook, I believe, as well. Do you think they're doing a good job with uh, dealing with misinformation or put it this way have they been doing a good job with misinformation has that picked up and is that likely to continue
1: well, they the ne- social networks for, for a long time now, you know, in the last couple of years specifically, have been challenged and spotlighted by governments, regulators, users, and, and the media around you know, several things to do with data privacy and misinformation, fake news. And yep. they have, you know, made dramatic um, efforts, I think, in, and improvements, I should say, in, in their abilities to, to tackle the problem. Um, you know, we've seen you know, human moderation is is one of the main ways that they can tackle the problem. But of course, that doesn't scale with the volumes that some of these platforms have. You know, you can have, at the moment, I think Facebook talks about 30,000, 40,000 people uh, around the world tackling misinformation. But, yeah. you know, they could throw double, triple that, and they still would have a huge problem that isn't, you know, able to be dealt with. So then the next phase they use is typically the AI and machine learning, which, still massively in its infancy isn't able to uh, identify the nuances in, in language and, and the way that we uh, communicate so it can't detect things or it has lots of false positives and if people if we rely too heavily on that things slip through the cracks and we you know we see incidents like we saw in uh, New Zealand in the last year or so when there was a terrorist incident and the live video stream of the of the of the terrorist you know shooting people you know that the, the AI and stuff didn't couldn't cope with the w- the way it was set up and the way that people were getting around it by you know editing bits of the video. So it's still a lack of kind of tech there to to tackle the problem. But I think certainly in at the moment with COVID nineteen and the platforms have, have got a couple of things on their mind. I think one of them is they are looking maybe they won't say it outwardly but they are looking for redemption particularly facebook you know they this is a huge opportunity for all of the platforms to see and for redeem themselves in the eyes of both the regulators and and users themselves and yeah, show yeah. that they are a power for good um so there is that aspect of it and also i think they you know they can at this critical time in in um, when people really do need factual authoritative information um from reliable sources and and most people, or a lot of people now, increasingly are getting their source of news from these social platforms in one way or another. You know, it's imperative that they um, step up, and I think they have to a degree. Um, really, you know, we, we see COVID nineteen info center on Facebook, and and a lot of the other platforms have got these kind of shortcuts to get the key information. You know, WhatsApp have got yeah. a, a chat bot and things. Uh, fact checking has been increased, uh, and they've given free ads to the World Health Organization and things. So. I think that they're doing a lot. I don't think it's probably even, you know, going anywhere near the sort of getting rid of the problem. But um, I think for them, it's communicating that they're they're doing as much as they can and doing more and doing more and more each day. I still think they're going to get criticized for not doing enough there. And I think we'll, we'll, we'll have this problem for many, many years to go.
0: One of the big problems which you talked about there is data privacy, which You know, the criticism over that ever since things kicked off a couple of years ago has has been kind of nonstop. I mean, there's two sides to look at this. You you could argue that because of things like tracing apps coming through, we're going to have to effectively give up some of our privacy in order for these COVID tracing apps to work properly. You can argue that once we've given that permission away, it'll be very hard to pull it back again is that something that's crossed your mind or again is it just something that i don't know is part of dealing with this this crisis but then we'll go back to old ways afterwards I think
1: that this is very much a, a contextual thing. You know, I think people are, because of the situation we're in with uh, the pandemic, are, are more tolerant of that, and that makes sense. That you know, that's a reasonable thing that you'd expect to happen. Do I think that longer term, that like, again, two years from now, um, that that has uh, this has meaning for people's thoughts and feelings towards these platforms? Afterwards, I think that it might have a, a they might have a more positive feeling towards some of these platforms if they continue to be seen to assist the world in recovering from this situation. So there's a it'll rub off on them. But uh-huh. do I think the long term just concerns and, and upset around data privacy and controlling and access to your data, importing your data, which is another thing? I'm not sure, not so sure. You know, one of the the most dramatic um, statements I think of of how people have been very much more tolerant of data privacy concerns and, and kind of foregoing them at the moment is is around portal plus you know facebook launched this product uh, a year or two ago which was um, people just completely trashed it in the media because like who the hell is going to put a camera and a microphone device (laughs) in their home from Facebook of all the companies and it was you know everyone just went to town on destroying uh, and I don't think it sold particularly well they never reveal sales figures but I'm pretty sure it was pretty low and then come this situation and I'm one of these people uh, and I never said that I didn't I wouldn't have a a product in my home because it was from Facebook I don't have those concerns I think a lot of it's conspiracy theory to be honest however I do think I do accept and understand why people would not feel comfortable with it regardless if you look now look around about portal plus online its sales have rocketed it's sold out people are praising it how amazing it is because it is a good product, but it 's testament to the fact that people are either being more tolerant or people have have actually come to realize oh, you know it 's not so bad and actually it 's quite a useful thing to have and so now that that, that 's a dramatic shift in a short space of time about a product that people would refuse to put in their houses so yeah i, I don 't see it being a massive long term change in people 's acceptance of giving away some of their data privacy. But I do think um, um, for the time being, we'll see uh, much more openness to, to using these tools whilst um, the, the pandemic you know progresses.
0: It's like you said, a lot of it really, I guess, comes down to how, I'm thinking Facebook specifically, but any of the tech platforms, any of the social media networks, how they are perceived to be assisting people and helping and, and, you know, helping with the world effectively. And if they come out of this on the other side with a good reputation, then all that perhaps has gone before in the last couple of years will be maybe not forgotten, but forgiven, perhaps? Yeah, I
1: can't imagine that people are going to um, forget, that's for sure. Um, But I think that they can, certainly then these platforms can put a a gloss over the top of some of the kind of more distressing, concerning kind of uh, scandal-laden like pieces of things that have gone on. Um, I think that people conscious all the time now with things like Apple, you know, on on their devices that in the last couple of updates they've done onto iOS, it gives you much more visibility around, did you know this app still tracking your location? Do you want to allow it to continue doing that? And so yeah. people are, I think that, and, and the platforms themselves are openly and happily giving people tools to have more control over the time they're spending on the platforms and also um, how they can access and, and secure their data and port it over. I do think a lot of that is lip service to the fact that they're about to go through uh legislation and re- regulation and all these other sort of court cases and i think they're just yeah, paying yeah. umbrage to that really but i don't uh you know i don't t- i shouldn't t- take take away from the fact that they have put these options in place and people will have the ability to, to you know have a bit more control but yeah i i'm i i do not think people are going to forget i really think that uh there's too many things that is causes concern and there's a risk to individuals that people are so aware of now about how they use social and the implications for their their privacy that um, this is just going to be a phase. I think we'll return to the same debates and arguments once this is is out the way with COVID.
0: In the last few weeks, the social networks have introduced several new features. Now, some of these seem to be in response to the world and the way people are feeling, and some of which aren't. As an example, Facebook has published a redesigned interface. It's introduced Messenger Rooms in response to Zoom and video conferencing taking off. It's launched Messenger for Kids and it's added a Care Reaction button. But is this a case of fast-tracked innovation or purely coincidental timing?
1: I think that, uh, well, first of all, I should say, um, certainly um, Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook has, um, has said in, in several of his posts and in, in his live streams that he's done in recent weeks and months that they have, have made a strategic, uh, you know, conscious decision to uh, focus, refocus some of their um, product development work into specific areas to address the demand for the certain types of products that would help people feel closer to loved ones. So they, they've made that decision. They've made that public. And I'm sure that the others have, have kind of done the same as well. And so you're right. You know we've seen these. You know the, the uh, live with a donate button has been rolled out further. Yep. You've had the ability to increase the number of people in a video group chat on WhatsApp and the live with, so you can actually go because people were crying out for live with on. So Facebook was al- live was allowing you to you know pull someone in and to do a live with you, which is something you can do obviously on Instagram already. Um, Facebook pulled that and everyone were up in arms about it because they felt it was a feature they loved and now they've brought it back. Um, I think that uh, these. These are, these are features and, uh, that are um, have been rolled out at speed to address kind of uh, the situation we're in and, and the demand for this, these sorts of products and features, and and of course you know these platforms have got to try. They're still a business, and regardless of a pandemic or whatever, their goal of, you know for sh- is to increase shareholder value, to increase the amount of time people are spending. Inside or on these platforms, and to think, you know, if people sort of really get into using Zoom now, and that that becomes a a thing that they constantly do, that you know, that's going to pull time spent on on other platforms that then you know they're competing with them. So Facebook and and Twitter and others need to kind of find ways to kind of pull that back and keep people doing what they want to do, but on their platform. So uh, they they've got to think of the long term as much as having short term feature releases that are, are. to address specific concerns due to, a, due to a pandemic but yeah you're right you know other platforms Zoom, House Party is another one that you know has been yeah. a slow burn for a while House Party being a group video chat that you know um, was sort of done well and then it went quiet for a while and now it's had a massive spike um, and it, and also uh, the way that people are using social and people um, what people are, are feeling more comfortable with doing you know for a lot of people working from home is, is a bit of a, a novelty it's kind of unusual for, for the likes of someone like yourself or me I certainly worked from home for, for many years before I even went freelance. But I think people's uh, uh, acceptance of or being more comfortable with paying for webinars or online learning or pay-per-view live events through a social platform, all these things that for, for a lot of people is um, is a new thing. And so that opens up plenty of new opportunities for not only the platforms, but for, for businesses that could kind of find ways to generate new income through those um, sort of um, methods. So I think there's that. Longer term, for me, the exciting stuff which isn't here yet, which we're doing amazing for the situation we're in, is, is AR and VR um, in, in in a far more advanced level.
0: The, those sorts of things, again, they've been kind of on, I suppose they've been bubbling under for a while now. I, I just wonder whether, exactly because of this, because of people are using the social networks more, because behaviour on them is changing, you know, things like that, that technology side. What, what's your view on when that's likely to really bleed through now
1: well certainly for vr and ar it, you know it's been a it's a discussion or a expectation from lots of people that that's would have been here by now and that we uh, yeah, yeah. would be some mass adoption of it and and it still isn't certainly for vr the, the problems have not that they haven't overcome um, still still the cost price of, of the of the devices the fact you still look like a, a complete nerd wearing these big <laughs> giant pieces of the plastic on your head it's very isolating from those around you and also c- creating content for it uh, as well it, it, it's, it's more tricky it's still not it's not as simple as, as other platforms and other um, sort of methods of of communicating with people so they've still got those challenges um, AR has moved on slightly in that we've started to see you know Google Maps you know has opened up a feature which enables you to overlay the directions you need to go in and, and IKEA with the ability to place furniture in your home to see what it looks like so we're mm-hmm. starting to see more and more of that as, a, a, and also tech in cars with like AR overlays on the windshield to sort of see things uh, as you're driving um the th- i think the thing that um facebook i certainly when we had um, andrew bosworth who's the, v- the vp of ar and vr at um, facebook he was explaining to us you know they want to make it possible to make the experience of uh being connected to someone who's farther away um, far away feel more natural and, and real and and, and it, it, at the moment it still feels very I don't know, artificial because you're still wearing these spectacles and and it it doesn't have much Capability to, to do anything other than fun games or talking or, or moving around a small space. It's still not really got a good use case, but I think all of that's coming. Um, and, you know, they, one of the things that they did talk about to us and they've and recently was how they bought this tech that's um, where you can, it's a bit like Black Mirror, you can, you know, they have this tech now that can detect nerve signals uh, and impulses from uh, in individuals, from their brain to, you know, throughout their body, we all have these electrical impulses. And so, the, you know, and these it can then control um certain objects and, and that you have so there's there an example i think that andrew bosworth gave where they and they in the situation where you're sat at your desk and you want to do an email you'll think i want to do an email you'll go to computer you'll open up your email application start writing it find a contact send done not a particularly labor intensive process but nonetheless this tech that they're working on they have now will be able to sort of understand that you're thinking about the fact that you want to send an email, who you want to send it to, and then uh, wirelessly tell your computer to open up the email application to start putting the, the text down that you're thinking you want to say and then sending it because you're saying you want it to send all without moving your hand. Now, they reckon that technology is three to five years away from its initial kind of test phase of it being a viable thing. And that shows okay. you how far we've come in terms of this kind of tech. So 10 years, 20 years from now, it, it's going to be very interesting. But um, right now, it, it's still you know not there to help us in this situation. And that's why video conferencing, video calls is, is the, the closest we can get to that.
0: Well, yeah, and that's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, I remember my first video call, which would have been, oh, my Lord, that was when I did the sandwich part of my degree, which would have been around about 96, 97. I worked at ICL, um, and we did a video call to the other side of the world, which at that time seemed just mind-blowing. But here we are all this time later, and it's taken this stuff for that to really blew through, which... I mean, that's astounding. And then then you're talking about things like AR and VR and AI. You can't help thinking sometimes, well, that's another 20 years off, just because of the way... How long it takes people to adopt this stuff. Sometimes
1: well, you're, you're right. You know, the, 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 I think the curve um, the, of of technology development and and uh, innovation in this area um, is is inc- you know is speeding up, and I think that the key bits of tech that we need for this to become a viable mass market thing, such as you know five G connections, regardless of the ridiculous, stupid controversy, which is annoying, <laughs> but you know, having the speeds, of wireless data speeds, and and enough people in not just in developed countries but beyond is a key thing you need for these data hungry VR, AR kind of apps and, and uh, hardware. And there's other things like that that have been limitations that we're now starting to overcome. But you, you're, you're right that the, the that's only one part of the, of the jigsaw, you know, people actually feeling comfortable, not only using the tech and understanding the tech, but then they've got the added challenge now of trusting the companies that are developing these products and feeling that yeah. they can kind of uh, feel comfortable using them. So. But I do think that it, in 10 years' time it's a, as a figure, you know, that we will be substantially further down the line towards... Uh products are like it might not even be AR and VR it might be something else but certainly yeah, yeah, that yeah. thing and one of the areas that at the moment that it could really benefit and they're starting to experiment with us at Facebook is is that Facebook has Workplace which is a bit like Slack for those that use online kind of work comms tools and um, within there that there, there has been um, tests done internally at Facebook where they um, have had business meetings where all the participants in different locations around the world for Facebook are in the business meeting using an Oculus device Whilst connected to you know all of the the uh, comms tools they already use day to day, and that virtual meeting suddenly starts to become more useful, and, and the ability to you know, pick up objects or documents that are set out on the, on a virtual table and then presenting them back, you can start to see how that working from yeah. home will be much more interesting in the years ahead.
0: Absolutely, I totally agree with that. We've talked today about a lot of things that are are changing with user behaviour with the way consumers are interacting with social networks, with technology changing. My impression has been that the vast majority of brands and companies still think in a very outdated manner about social media and how they use it. This is a big question, but do, do you see any real change in that? As uh, Because of what's happening now, a, a lot of brands are taking a step back. Others are taking a step forward, but being more helpful and not just trying to sell stuff all the time, Or the sensible ones anyway. Do you think that all of this stuff happening means that brands and marketers either will or will have to adapt the way that they're approaching or have been approaching social media moving forward?
1: I think that we've seen um, most Brands, big brands, brands that everyone around the world recognize, you, know, you won't be surprised to see that they have um, been pretty savvy at, or uh, quick at getting on top of what the right kind of messaging is or what the right yeah. way to use social is. Because at the moment, the, the key thing for brands right now is is to, to maintain that relationship with your customer in whatever way you can, um, showing empathy being this buzzword authentic more than ever that word is as important as ever um entertaining people in this time as well and in supporting customers um with the challenges that they face even if it doesn't relate directly to their product and some brands have been particularly good at that and better than others Um, but i think that you're right selling and trying to sell or, or you know doing just sticking a you know a coronavirus kind of themed coloring or branding around something and then still trying to sell the products in a similar way with a little bit of token empathy on the end is not going to serve you well at all um Mm. i don't know again i'm not so sure that we can say that because of this experience that we've gone through that the the behaviors of how brands message and engage with their customers is, is gonna change. I think certainly for for the period that this lasts for and it will go on sometime as the lockdown is slowly released, I think that we'll see, you know, the, the way they're behaving now, which is different to maybe what they were before, continue. But again, I think um the, the businesses that were notoriously bad or didn't get social. I don't know if they're really going to be able to use this experience to learn from. I think if anything, it's probably confused Uh them further because they kind of, they didn't maybe know what they were doing before with social and now it's thrown all the cards up in the air again. So I think it is tricky for certainly for small to medium-sized businesses. um, But one good thing is that it's a lot cheaper to advertise right now on social yep. which is good um and also and these platforms are very savvy you know because you know there's they're giving out millions and millions of pounds in grants and incentives to to small to medium-sized businesses because these are their customers themselves if they don't spend on ads if there's no businesses left to use Facebook to advertise on Facebook's ad revenue, which is its biggest income driver, evaporates. So it's in their interest yeah, to give yeah. them a hundred billion grants to keep these businesses afloat. So that there is that. But I think that um, yeah, COVID is, is in short to medium time is clearly having a dramatic impact in terms of the sorts of messaging and campaigns that um, that brands are doing. Um, but uh, in the long term, I think that the the, the main thing that they still need to, to get on top of is is having a closer relationship with their customers because. Because more than ever messaging private messaging groups you know more dark social activity is, is is the trend that is going to continue and to be able to understand your customers and to be able to provide them with what they're looking for at the right time in the right place you need to know more about them and, and understand what they're what they need and what they want uh, and that's the same now as it is going to be even more so in in the, in the coming years i think
0: Follow Matt on Twitter where he's at Matt Navarra or check out the Geek Out with Matt Navarra podcast. You can subscribe to Digital Download on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please do leave a review as this helps others discover the podcast. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.